0: Hello everyone and welcome to the August 14 edition of the War Comp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folsen, attorney with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. Mylan Pharmaceuticals has finalized a $465 million settlement with the U.S. Justice Department resolving claims it overcharged the government for its EpiPen emergency allergy treatment. Mylan said it reached a deal resolving claims it misclassified the EpiPen as generic rather than a branded product, thus, underpaying rebates to state Medicaid programs. The investigation followed a whistleblower lawsuit filed under the False Claims Act that rival drug maker Sanafi filed in 2016, two years after it first raised the matter with investigators. As a result of the settlement, Sanofi will receive $38 million as their portion of the settlement under provisions of the federal act. The EpiPen, which Milan acquired in 2007, is a handheld device that treats life-threatening allergic reactions by automatically injecting a dose of epinephrine. Mylan came under fire last year after raising the price of a pair of EpiPens to $600 from the $100 price in 2008, and listing it with Medicaid as a generic product, even though it is listed with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as a branded one. The price increase enraged consumers and put the drug maker at the center of an ongoing debate over the high cost of prescription medicines in the United States. The $465 million settlement has previously come under attack by members of Congress in both parties who have called it too small. An analysis by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Office of the Inspector General found that the government may have overpaid for EpiPens by as much as $1.27 billion, far more than the $465 million settlement. The state of South Carolina sued Purdue Pharma, becoming the latest state or local government to accuse the OxyContin maker of deceptive marketing practices that contributed to a national opioid addiction epidemic. The South Carolina attorney general claims that Purdue has told doctors that patients who receive prescriptions for opioids generally will not become addicted and those who appeared to be were only pseudo-addicted and needed more of the drugs. And since a 2007 Purdue settlement with South Carolina, The company has continued to downplay the addictiveness of its opioid products and overstated the benefits. Purdue has denied similar allegations and said it shares the concerns of public officials about the opioid crisis and is committed to finding solutions. Purdue and other drug makers have been sued over opioid products by Oklahoma, Mississippi, Ohio, Missouri, and New Hampshire, as well as cities and counties in California, Illinois, Ohio, Oregon, Tennessee, and New York. A group of state attorneys general in June announced an investigation into the role played by pharmaceutical manufacturers in the opioid epidemic. Purdue and three executives pleaded guilty in 2007 to federal charges related to the misbranding of OxyContin, which it used to relieve pain, and agreed to pay a total of $635 million to resolve a U.S. Justice Department probe. That year, the privately held company also reached a $19.5 million settlement with 26 states, including South Carolina, as well as the District of Columbia. It agreed in 2015 to pay $24 million to resolve a lawsuit in Kentucky. In the newest lawsuit, South Carolina claimed that since the 2007 settlement, Purdue has continued to engage in misleading opioid marketing practices rather than reforming them to conform to the law. The California Labor Commissioner has filed a lawsuit against Cal Creek Construction Incorporated seeking $6.3 million for multiple wage theft violations. These claims pertain to a group of nearly 250 construction workers and the willful misclassification of 175 workers as independent contractors. An investigation launched in October 2016 uncovered the Glendale-based company's failure to pay the workers for overtime hours, allocate pay for sick leave, and provide proper wage statements. The Los Angeles Superior Court lawsuit also seeks civil damages and penalties. Back in August 2016, authorities claimed Calcrete forced its workers to sign contracts, stating they were independent contractors under threat of termination. The company then used staffing agencies Dominion Staffing and Southeast Personnel Leasing to pay the workers. But Labor Commissioner Julie Sue said it is illegal for employers to use subcontractors to distance themselves from the obligation to pay workers. She also said this lawsuit aims to recover the money these misclassified workers should have been paid after years of wage theft. The suit alleges that CalCrete employees typically work 10 to 12 hours Monday through Friday and 8 hours on Saturday. They were paid only their regular hourly rate and no overtime pay for the 18 to 28 hours of overtime they regularly worked. The lawsuit seeks wages and damages of nearly $2.6 million payable to the workers and penalties of approximately $3.7 million dollars payable to the state of California. When a worker is misclassified as an independent contractor, they are not protected by minimum wage, overtime, and retaliation laws. The worker is not guaranteed workers' compensation coverage if injured on the job, and has no right to paid rest and meal breaks or sick leave. Many factors go into determining if a worker is misclassified, including a review of who decides what tasks the worker does who dictates how tasks should be done, and who controls customer relations. Worker misclassification results in an estimated loss of $7 billion each year in payroll tax revenue to the state of California. When workers are paid less than the minimum wage, they are entitled to liquidated damages that equal the amount of underpaid wages plus interest. Waiting time penalties are imposed when the employer fails to provide workers their final paycheck after a separation. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation announced it will dismiss more than 292,000 unresolved liens. The liens belonged to claimants who did not properly file the required Supplemental Lien Form and 4903.5C Declaration Form. Senate Bill 1160 required all lien claimants who filed a lien between January 2013 and December 2016 and who paid a filing fee to file the new forms by July 1. Lien claimants who failed to file the forms as required will have their liens dismissed. The Labor Code was amended to add these new provisions as part of reform measures to combat fraud in the workers' comp system. To comply with the new requirements, the DWC made available an e-form declaration and the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board promulgated regulations requiring the use of this form. Claimants should be aware that the DWC will not send notification to claimants whose liens have been dismissed. The DWC previously reported that over 440,000 supplemental lien declaration forms were filed on time as required by the new law. This represents half of the over 880,000 liens filed in California's workers' compensation system between January 2013 and December 2016 for which a filing fee was paid. This suggests that approximately 440,000 liens should have been dismissed. The announcement of the dismissal of only 292,000 liens is somewhat short of the original estimate but is nonetheless a significant development. The Division of Workers' Compensation has suspended five more medical providers from participating in California's workers' compensation system. This brings the total of suspended providers to 32. The DWC Acting Administrative Director George Parasato issued orders of suspension against the following providers. Leo Vigildo Sayat, a physician-physical thera- therapist, excuse me, a physical therapist in Lompoc, who in October two thousand fifteen pled guilty in U.S. District Court for the Central District of California as a co-conspirator in a fifteen million dollars scheme to defraud Medicare by billing for physical therapy services never provided. Alexander Kiev Martinez. A DME provider in El Centro, California, who in April 2016 pled guilty in San Diego Superior Court for referring patients in a bribery scheme involving $25 million in improper claims for medical services and devices billed to California workers' compensation insurance companies. Robert Gogatz, a chiropractor in Murrieta, who last May pled guilty in Riverside Superior Court to 16 counts of insurance fraud. Robert Alva Rose, a physician in Irvine, who pled guilty in Orange County Superior Court in September 2015 to two misdemeanors related to his qualifications as a medical provider. And finally, Paul Barcal, a physician in San Diego, who surrendered his license to the Medical Board of California. AB 1244 requires the DWC Administrative Director to suspend any medical provider, physician, or practitioner from participating in the work comp system in cases in which one or more of the following is true. The provider has been convicted of a felony or misdemeanor involving fraud or abuse of the Medi-Cal or Medicare programs or the workers' comp system, fraud or abuse of a patient or related types of misconduct. The second ground is the provider has been suspended due to fraud or abuse from the Medicare or Medicaid, including Medi-Cal programs or The provider's license or certificate to provide health care has been surrendered or revoked. The Department of Industrial Relations fraud prevention efforts are posted online, including frequently updated lists for physician practitioners and providers who have been issued notices of suspension and those who have been suspended pursuant to the labor code. And the department recently added a new webpage with information on Lean Consolidations and the Special Adjudication Unit. And in workplace safety news, actor Tom Cruise was injured after unsuccessfully attempting a stunt for his new Mission Impossible 6 movie. It's not known how badly he was injured, but... Footage of the accident shows him limping away and in evident pain. The stunt for the latest installment of the long-running franchise was being filmed in London. It involved crews jumping between two buildings with the assistance of a safety harness. The footage shows the 55-year-old actor having problems with the timing of his leap and crashing into the side of the second building. The actor was able to pull himself up onto the roof of the building, but was then seen limping heavily before collapsing next to members of the film's crew. Cruz is something of a, a rarity among Hollywood actors for insisting on performing many of his own stunts. In 2011, the actor scaled the outside of the world's tallest building in Dubai for a scene from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. For 2015's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, he was attached to the exterior of an Airbus 400 as it took off from an airport. Cruz also performed inside a zero-gravity plane for the recent reboot of The Mummy. And it seems that Tom Cruise has recently had more than his share of movie-making safety problems. He also stars in the upcoming American Made, a biographical crime film, The film is based on the life of Barry Seal, a former TWA pilot who became a drug smuggler in the 1980s and was recruited later by the DEA to provide intelligence. It is set to be released this September. During filming, a twin-engine Piper Smith Aerostar 600 was ferrying three pilots working on a set after a long day of filming in the hills in northeast Colombia near the border with Panama. This early evening flight was supposed to be a short taxi ride home, but instead it crashed in foggy and cloudy conditions in the Columbian Mountains. Alan Perwin and Carlos Burrell died. The only person to survive the crash was Jimmy Lee Garland, who suffered injuries to his legs, arms, face, and chest. Relatives of Alan Perwin sued the movie's production companies, including... Imagine Entertainment and Cross Creek Pictures, as well as the estate of Carlos Burl. Their suit alleges that Burl was piloting the plane at the time of the crash, even though he lacked the skills to do so. Burl's estate countersued, claiming Burl informed producers and other parties related to the film that he had insufficient experience to fly this aircraft. Hmm. The estate also alleges that the flight was not safely planned, prepared, or supervised. These accidents are the latest in a series of deadly tragedies that have occurred on film sets. A Los Angeles Times report in March found a sharp rise in catastrophic injuries on film sets in recent years. There were 20 deaths in the U.S. related to motion picture and television productions for the five years that ended in December 2014, doubling the number of fatalities during the previous five-year period. Firefighters have higher than average cancer rates and, while their exposure to carcinogens during fires is well known, a new study suggests exposures in fire stations contribute to their excess cancer risk as well. Researchers say firefighters spend large portions of their shift waiting for calls in a station, during which they can be exposed to diesel exhaust from idling trucks, which is a known carcinogen, and off-gassing from contaminated post-fire gear, which may be contaminated with a variety of known and or possible carcinogens. The researchers' findings from Harvard's Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, were published in the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Several studies in recent years have found that firefighters have elevated risks for cancers of the lungs, skin, esophagus, brain, kidney, and prostate. We know about the chemicals, heat, and stresses in the field, but What is left out is the chronic low-level exposure at the fire station during day-to-day business. The Boston Fire Department approached the research team with concerns about firefighters becoming sick at young ages. Although department staff knew that diesel exhaust, dust, and ash caused sinus and breathing issues, they were not sure when and where the most exposure occurred. Harvard researchers sampled air particles at four, Boston Fire Stations in 2016, looking for particulate matter less than 2.5 millimeters in diameter. These small particles are considered dangerous to human health because they can be inhaled and become lodged in the lungs. They also look for particle-bound polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are chemicals released from burning coal, oil, gas, trash, and wood. They took air samples from the kitchen, truck bay, and outside the station and conducted interviews with officers at each station to understand health and safety-related policies and practices such as engine idle time and the washing of contaminated clothing. Particulate matter was present in higher concentrations in the truck bay than in either the kitchen or the outdoors, but levels varied throughout the day. The study authors found that newer building materials and effective separation between the different building zones helped keep levels low in the firefighters' living areas. Policies for ventilating truck exhausts outside the and washing of bunker gear after a fire also had large influences on air quality. Researchers now hope to sample air in additional stations and at different times of the year. They're also talking to officers at the Boston stations about simple steps they can take to reduce risks. Ideas such as removing gym equipment from the truck bay, installing commercial-grade washing machines for gear, and closing doors between living areas when possible are being considered. A limitation of the study is the small size, which makes it difficult to assess whether the exposure numbers are exceptional according to the University of Tamper in Helsinki, Fisil, uh, Finland. And with that story, that is all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.